0: turn in our Bibles to 2 Corinthians. And last time we left off in the middle of chapter 11. I think I made it through verse 15, so nowhere we're close to ending it, but we'll dive back into it. Remember what's happening here in 2 Corinthians is Paul Paul is dealing with a lot of accusations and a lot of criticism, and there were a lot of people who were really um, putting him down. And this in a church that he loved, that he had served, so many of these people had come to faith through Paul's testimony, and yet now that he wasn't there, they were attacking him. And so Paul wasn't one to defend himself, and he really doesn't defend himself as much as he could, but, but he begins to reason with them so that they could at least understand the nature of their folly in, in following after people who um, would turn them away from, from the, the awareness of, of how special Paul was and, and how they, he, what he had to say to them and the teaching that he had for them is something that was really from the heart of the Lord. So we pick up with verse 16. And he said, um, I say again, let no one think me a fool. He goes, I'm not stupid. If otherwise, if you do think I'm a fool, at least receive me as a fool, that I also may boast a little. So he says, I'm not a fool, but suppose I am. If you think I'm a fool, then at least listen to me the way you would listen to a fool, and, and he says, so if you think I'm a fool, now I'm going to do a foolish thing, because I'll show you what bragging is like. A lot of these guys who have bragged about themselves and who put me down, um, let me show you what I could do if I was of the mindset to compare myself to others. And so he's going to go into this section kind of like where he's saying, this is really stupid for me to do this but you almost demand it. And so let me talk foolishly to you and share with you kind of from a fool's perspective that if you want to compare um, qualifications, if you want to compare life, um, I think I could hold my own, even though as he repeatedly says, I don't want to do that and I don't need to do it. But he says, I'll boast a little as a fool. What I speak, I speak not according to the Lord, but as it were, foolishly in this confidence of boasting. So he says, Right now I'm just playing the part of someone who's like these guys you're listening to, and I'll show you. you if you want foolishness, I'll, I'll give you a dose of it, do some bragging. Seeing that many boast according to the flesh, that's what you, if that's what matters to you, then I also will boast. For you put up with fools gladly, since you yourselves are wise. Kind of taking a shot at him. He goes, believe me, there are some fools that you listen to, and you seem to really like what they have to say. And, um, of course, you're so smart. (laughs) For you put up with it if one brings you into bondage, if one devours you, if one takes from you, if one exalts himself. If one strikes you on the face. This is something that's so painful when you care about people. When you see that they will actually, and in some ways even more so, listen to someone who abuses them. Why people seem to have almost a masochistic kind of uh, aspect to their lives whereby if someone beats them up, sometimes they really think that that's really good. There are people who just love to hear preachers who just rail on everyone and make everyone feel bad afterwards, and there are actually some people who are foolish enough to think that that's what I call real preaching. That's what, you know, that's what I'm talking about. That's the way it ought to be. And there are many, many, many people who are victimized by those who would in the name of god just build themselves up at the expense of others and it's something that god takes very seriously but some responsibility has to lie with people who promote these bozos and people who actually let it happen and and we all need to search our hearts and 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 consider are we the type of people who really enjoy the the pain of getting beat up or are we Do we subject ourselves and do we listen to people who tear us down and somehow get some sort of weird, vicarious pleasure from that sort of an approach? Because that's what was happening to them. They were being preached to by those who wanted to hammer them with the law. Now, one reason why people will take this kind of abuse is that if in some ways it's pretty easy to be more righteous than the average person. And so if somebody really wants to just preach a hellfire and brimstone kind of an approach, part of the sick part of us that likes that is that, you know, okay, yeah, this is hurting me, but it's hurting other people even more. And so I just seem to take great pleasure in people being put down as long as I can hold my own on the curve. And so much of religion is all about this tendency that we have to want to be lied to because then in our flesh, we can kind of hang in there on our own and compare ourselves to others and think that we're doing better. And yet, in reality, we ought to recognize that abuse is abuse. I don't care who does it. I don't care how smart they are. I don't care how much they couch it in, in God talk or how much of the scriptures that they want to use in order to do it. When God comes to us to minister to us, he doesn't do it that way. He doesn't tear us down. He doesn't, you know, just knock us around and beat us up. And, and we ought to resist that fleshly part of us that actually kind of enjoys that sort of an approach. Because what you'll find at the end of that road is, ironically, pride. That when someone makes you feel bad enough, you'll start to rely on the flesh, and then you'll just start to look around and realize there are people worse than you, and therefore you can feel pretty good about yourself. But Paul, in teaching the gospel of grace and stressing that so much that hey, we're all the same. We all just need God. We all need his grace. And Paul's presentation of that was so powerful that for almost 2,000 years, it's been changing people's lives. Paul's presentation of grace was so much so that in the Middle Ages, a, a, a Catholic monk by the name of Martin Luther, who was as religious as they come, just completely had his world turned upside down when he stumbled on those words of Paul, the just shall live by faith. And understanding that changed the history of Christianity and brought about the Protestant Reformation, of which we have been real recipients of. But it's all about, are we going to do religion are we going to trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross? And any time you say, well, yeah, it's grace plus this or this or this, you're setting people up for failure. You're causing people to feel that. And if we send a message that says, yes, you're saved by grace, but you better be good. You better change your life or you know maybe you're not going to get his grace. It's grace that changes our lives. It's not us changing our life. You've tried that, I assume. It doesn't work very well for you, I can tell. <laughs> and it's never worked for me either. It's recognizing the reality of grace that makes all the difference. And Paul's just disturbed as to why people would leave the simple teaching of the grace of God in order to put themselves in a position where, in some super spiritual, pseudo, high and mighty way, they think that they've gotten past that, and so they're allowing someone to just regularly beat them up, thus building themselves up in the process, tearing you down to where all you have left is to begin to fake it, to begin to pretend that you're righteous. And that's, a, that's something that to this day is a huge, huge problem and something that we all need to be aware of. I catch myself often when I hear someone who is really preaching it, and I go, boy, that feels good. And then I evaluate, well, what is it exactly that's being said? And so often it feels good because I have this history I have this tradition that being close to God means being torn to shreds. It's this old familiar feeling that keeps coming back that it's like, I kind of like being thrashed. And Paul just goes, I don't get why you guys want to do that. I don't know what you have to gain by playing that game or falling into that trap. And so, he says, you're listening to fools who put you into bondage. They devour you. They take from you. They're they're just scamming you. They're just fleecing you. If one exalts himself, if one strikes you on the face, to our shame I say that we were too weak for that. But in whatever anyone is bold, I speak foolishly, I am bold also. He said, yeah, you love those powerful preachers. But he said, nobody's ever going to accuse me of that. I came to you in weakness. People accuse me of being weakness? Paul goes, I'll own that. I'm not the strongest preacher out there. I'm not the one that's screaming at people. I'm not the one that's booming it out and powerfully giving this message. He goes, no, I can see why you'd accuse me of being weak. But he said let me continue in my foolishness. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. He says these legalists are claiming to have achieved this, the heights of spirituality because they are completed Jews. They are ones who understand that, oh, it's the gospel and the law. It's, the gospel and keeping the Ten Commandments. It's the gospel and the dietary restrictions. It's the gospel and keeping the Jewish holidays. It's the gospel and keeping the Sabbath. He goes, look, you're not talking to some Gentile. As Paul said in Philippians, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, of the tribe of Benjamin, the tribe where Saul came from, the first king of Israel. He goes, are are you thinking somehow that I'm just some you know fly-by-night come-along lately sort of guy. Hey, I know what it is Paul said to be Jewish. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. It's stupid to say this, but I more. If they're ministers of Christ, I can I can match that and I can top it. None of them can compare their qualifications with me, Paul says when it comes to being a minister of Christ. Because Paul had been personally tutored by Christ, and we're going to see in chapter 12, he had this experience where he actually went up into heaven. He says, In labors, more abundant. I worked harder than they did. In stripes, being beaten above measure. I can't even count how many times I was beaten. In prisons, more frequently than they are. In death, Near death, often. From the Jews, five times I received 39 stripes, 40 stripes minus one. The law was couldn't beat them more than 40 times, so they would usually do 39 just in case they had miscounted. Five times he got that. Five times with a a cord that had pieces of glass and sharp metal embedded in it, and so when it would rip on his back, and then they would pull it and it would tear the flesh from him. Imagine five times, three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I've been out in the ocean, in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles. He goes, man, the Jews and the Gentiles trying to kill me, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, (coughs) in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, and probably not always by choice, in cold and nakedness. And he goes, not only that, what's worse than all that stuff, besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. (laughs) It's amazing. Paul cared so much about God's work and God's people that his concern for them was harder for him to deal with than all of those beatings and shipwrecks and being starved and being stoned. He goes man, on top of that, I care. And caring is something that will hurt you deeper than anything that you'll ever endure in your body. You know, there's an old saying that you heard when you were a kid. It's well-intentioned when people told you this, but sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. (laughs) It's not true. It's really not. Sticks and stones, you'll get over that you can get you can get punched and kicked and beat up and you'll bounce back from that but you carry with you the kinds of hurt that come from things that people say it's it's way more cruel than hitting you that kind of abuse is something that you carry with you and paul certainly knew what that was like from people who he would have given his life for turning on him going back on you know to betray him and and to turn him in and to, and to talk badly about him, say hurtful things about him, and he still loved them and he still cared. So he's going through this list of things that he had been through and he's saying, okay, there's my resume. He could have talked about all that he had learned. He could have said, hey, how many books of the Bible have these idiots written? I've written 14. Most people don't think I wrote Hebrews, which makes it 13, the unlucky number, but I still wrote more of the New Testament than anyone by far. I heard directly from Jesus. He called me. He tutored me, Um, but he doesn't say that. Um, Instead, he says, here's my resume, everything that I'm doing to serve God, I'm doing in pain. I don't have anything to gain from it. What is the possible motive for me to do what I'm doing? And let somebody who has done more than me, let someone who has given more than me, if they want to criticize me, let's compare scars. Let's just look at each other and let's see who's endured more for the sake of the gospel. It's sad that he had to do this and he calls it foolish, The real fools were the people who would even force him to remind them of this stuff because they knew it. He goes on in verse 29 Who is weak and I'm not weak? Who is made to stumble and I don't burn with indignation? If I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. He goes, If I'm going to brag, I'm going to brag about how sick I've been. I'm going to brag about all that I've been through. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forevermore, knows that I am not lying. And then he remembers one other event that happened to him that probably should have been in the list up above, but he had forgotten about it. In Damascus, the governor under Aretas the king was guarding the city of the Damascenes with a garrison, a a set-up watch, desiring to arrest me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall, and I escaped from his hands. This story is told briefly in Acts chapter 9, towards the end of the chapter, but in in that case, it just says that the Jews were after him, and so um, he escaped through a window. Um, A basket was probably not like a regular basket, like what what we um, would re- think of as a basket, but it was a woven, probably like a fish net, that they tossed him in and dropped them over the side, out a window, and down the side of the walls. And the walls would kind of taper out in those days. And and so, you know, it, here we find out a little more details about it that this was actually a governor who was under the king, Aretas, who was actually sanctioning this search for Paul. The Jewish leaders were looking for him, wanting to kill him. The governor's garrison of soldiers was looking for him in order to put him into prison. And it's interesting that what he did was escape In in a way that probably went against everything that was in his character. He would be the type of guy who would just want to stand up to them. He'd want to face them off. But obviously God showed him, You need to live to do a lot more work on another day. This is an interesting passage and account that you need to remember when people talk about um, civil disobedience and government authority and things like that. We know in Acts the disciples said, hey, we're going to obey God rather than men. Um, But here the governor had the authority to come and take him, and, and he had no problem escaping rather than to submitting to that. So whatever Paul taught about submitting to the government, such as in Romans 13, you need to factor this story into it as well. Um, and so I have no ethical problem, for instance, with people who um, shielded uh, Jews from the Nazis during the uh, World War II um, to me, that was a heroic thing to do. I don't see an ethical problem with it at all. Um, and this is sort of along those lines. Now, from Acts chapter nine, we learn that after Paul escaped Damascus, he went off for a while and then came, ended up coming back to Damascus before he ever went to Jerusalem and met with the disciples. Now, if you compare that with Galatians chapter one, it would seem that after Paul Escaped in the fishnet, and he probably went out to the desert of Arabia and hung out there a while. And actually, that's when Jesus had come and tutored him and, and instructed him. And then he went back to, to Syria again, to Damascus, and then down to Jerusalem. So you can kind of piece that together from this and Acts chapter 9 and Galatians chapter 1. So he tells the story, and then that kind of leads into an experience that he had that he didn't want to talk about, and he really, I wish he had talked about it more. I'd love to have more details, but it's this experience where Paul was seemingly transported up into heaven. Amazing. It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. He goes, I don't want to brag, but if I did, I'd sure tell you about this one. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago... Now, this happened to Paul, and he waited 14 years before he even told anyone about it. A lot different. Most people today who claim to have some wild experience, they can't wait to write the book. And Paul just kind of sat on it. And he said, whether in the body, I don't know, or whether out of the body, I don't know. God knows such a one was caught up to the third heaven. So Paul said, I don't know if this was a vision. I don't know if I was taken out of my body. I don't know if my body actually went with me. Now this brings up all kinds of interesting questions, but not going to make a big teaching on something that Paul said, I don't know, God knows. But somehow his consciousness and perhaps his body, perhaps he was dead and this was an experience after death and he came back to life we don't know you can't be dogmatic on it but he was taken up into paradise into what he calls the third heaven the third heaven would probably be a reference to the fact that you know the first heaven would be our um you know atmosphere that we live in and the second heaven would be outer space and the third heaven would be beyond that in the presence of god um There are other references that are poetic that refer to more heavens than that, but he tells us where he went. He went to paradise. But he said, and I know such a man, and he's being kind of anonymous about it, but it's rather obvious who he's talking about. Whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know, God knows. How he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which it is not lawful for a man to utter. He said, I heard stuff that... If I told you, I'd have to kill you. <laughs> it's just no, you you couldn't, you wouldn't believe it. You couldn't handle it. Again, how different this is from people who have spiritual experiences and they act like it was no big deal. Oh yeah, I went. It was great. And let me tell you all about it. Um, I tend to go with Paul as being a reliable source, and he said, you know, if you went to heaven, you'd come back and you'd go, I can't. I just can't even tell you. It's it's cool, but I can't say it. Of such a one I'll boast, but of myself I will not boast, except in my infirmities. He said, I'm not going to brag about having been to heaven. I'm not going to brag about the fact that I know things that you don't know. But everything I'm bragging about is what makes me weak. Everything I'm bragging about is the pain the suffering that I've endured. Because as we see, it's always those infirmities, and those injuries, those illnesses, those suffering experiences that make us who we are. No one ever yet had their character built by luxury, by comfort. I wish, but it just doesn't work that way. What we benefit from and what we learn by is hard times and pain. And so Paul said, I'll I'll brag about my pain rather than bragging about my deep spiritual experiences. I love that. He said, for though I might desire to boast, you guys make me want to, I'm not going to be a fool, (coughs) for I will speak the truth, but I refrain lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. See, one of the reasons why Paul didn't want to go into details about his experiences, he said, I don't want you guys to think of me as being on some great pedestal. I don't I don't want to present myself in such a way. I mean, I'm I kind of have to defend myself because you guys are discounting what God is saying through me. And so I, I gotta there's certain things I need to say, but he said, I'm not going to tell you those things that will cause you to. Have a higher opinion of me. Wow. I mean, what an amazing example. And when you listen to people who are saying things and presenting themselves that are just designed to make you think more highly of them, it's, I wish this wasn't true, but it's true. That's a, a major disease in the body of Christ. It seems like as soon as you put someone up front... They want to impress you with who they are. They usually have to do it by playing games or exaggerating or whatever. The Apostle Paul didn't do that. And he goes, you know what, I'm going to avoid even telling stories about myself that you might be really blessed by, but I'm just afraid that it'll make it look like I'm putting myself up too much. And it would be wise for all of us as we just share with people to think about What it is that we share with people, and is it something that gives them an idea that we are somehow some higher creature than they are, that we are in some elevated spiritual position? Like a a few weeks ago, as we were, you know, talking in another passage, and I had seen where Doctor McGee said that um, I can't remember what the passage was, but in that in that chapter, um, Doctor McGee said. I don't trust those super-duper saints that come off really spiritual. He said, everyone I've ever known who had really experienced God, it made them really humble. And he said, the more I learn about God, the more I realize what I don't know. And, and, so, and I've found that to be true. The people who have, have really been used by God the greatest, are almost in a disturbing way. They seem to, as they get older, be less confident and less sure of themselves and, and more humble. And being in the presence of God does that to you. Um, you can, you know, there are some people who pretend to be rich, but they aren't. They say all flesh, no cash. Um, people who are really wealthy generally don't have to play that game. And people who are really close to God don't have to impress people with how close to God they are. Um, that might make them look good, but it doesn't make God look any bigger. And so Paul was just one of these guys that he didn't want to, to elevate himself. He didn't even want to risk doing that because, well, John the Baptist said it really well. He said, he, uh, talking about Jesus, he must increase and I must decrease. And ultimately, you can't exaggerate how big God is. You don't, he can't increase except that our presentation of him can increase. But you also can't exaggerate one person's insignificance. I don't care how many great things God has done through them. It's, we shouldn't take ourselves so seriously. And, and elevate ourselves in that way because it detracts from God. And Paul, of all people, you can look at what he says. Man, if anybody ever had something to brag about, it's Paul. And he said, I'm not even going to go there because I just don't want you to get an idea that I'm something special. I'm only doing this so that you'll know that I could beat everyone else if they want to play that game but I'm not playing that game, and I don't live my life that way, and I've never presented myself that way. That is so incredibly admirable, so godly in just the deepest sense of the word. And always, the first sign of godliness is going to be humility. Everyone in the Bible who saw even an angel or who came into the presence of the glory of God, they were on their face in humility. They weren't like going, wow, this is great. You know, when Jesus went up to the Mount of Transfiguration with a couple of his disciples, they saw, you know, Moses and Elijah, and it was pretty cool. And Peter's like, wow, this is great. You know, let's build a tabernacle. And poof. It was like, if that's the way you want to look at it, Show's over. It's all done. That's not how it works. That's not what it's about. If Paul had this attitude, um, anybody in here think that you're that you've elevated to a higher level than the Apostle Paul? <laughs> <laughs> then let's let's have the same attitude about ourselves. Let's not be all dogmatic and prideful. And verse seven lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations. A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. He said, because of some of the experiences I had, God allowed me to be given an infirmity. It was, and, and we don't know what the infirmity is that he was referring to. It Many people, probably most people, believe that it was a problem with his eyes because and his eye injury may have been from being stoned or beaten or something like that. But um, we know from extra-biblical uh, history that Paul was said to have eyes that oozed and ran all the time. And we know from his letters that he talks about the fact that he had to have other people um, write his letters for him and then when he wrote at the end of a, a book he would say I'm writing this with my own hand you can tell because it's in big letters and so I think it, he he certainly had a problem with his eyes um, whether that was the thorn in the flesh he had or whether his thorn in the flesh was something more um, you know that phys- not physical but maybe a, a depression or or you know the a situation in his life or whatever but there was something in his life that he said god actually let me experience this hurt so that i wouldn't be exalted above measure And it's interesting too that he saw it coming from god and he also saw it you know i mean notice he says So lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. Now, who gave him the thorn in the flesh if the purpose of it was so that he wouldn't be glorying in himself? It wasn't Satan that wanted to help him in that way, but it was a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. And so you see this interesting thing where When something bad happens, Satan can be involved. It could be something that just came from evil. And yet God's hand is always there. And God has purposes in allowing whatever it is that happens to us. And you don't say, you know, yeah, God did this to me necessarily. But you realize that God's hand was there with you through what you went through. And God intends to use it in such a way that that what's intended by Satan to be something that's devastating to you will end up becoming a great blessing in your life. And so Paul had that, and, and he said, hey, I, I didn't welcome it. I prayed that it would go away. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. It's funny, there are some people who teach that you shouldn't pray for something more than once, um, because then you're showing a lack of faith. Well, Paul prayed three times about his infirmity. Um, Jesus in the garden prayed the exact same words three times. Um, And so here he says, I prayed that it might depart from me. And Paul was the kind of guy who, when he prayed for people, they just got well. But now he prays for himself and nothing happened. And three times he seemed to be kind of surprised that it lasted that long. But The Lord Jesus said to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, Therefore most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. This is powerful stuff. This is so important for us to remember. Now, we should continue to pray for anything that we desire until god tells us my grace is sufficient for you until he gives us a peace about not praying for it anymore jesus told the parable about an unjust judge and a widow and he said he told it so that men ought always to pray and not to lose heart so how many times are we supposed to pray for something as many times as it takes until either God answers that prayer or God somehow reveals himself to us and says, it's okay, I've got this one, I'm, I'm dealing with this. And you don't have to keep you know, living your life as if being delivered from this problem is your main thing. And it's a beautiful thing to me when I see God touch people and heal them, but it's also a beautiful thing when there's someone who um, isn't healed but who receive that assurance from God that it's okay. That, hey, God's hand is in this and we all have to get out of here sometime. You know, no one gets out alive except those who are here when the rapture comes and we don't know when when it's coming. But, you know, there's a place for praying for relief from your suffering. There's a place for hearing from God that this is something that i really want to do in your life this is something that i have a purpose behind and for paul (coughs) the lord specifically told him paul you got to understand this my strength is perfected in weakness and that's something that we need to understand i don't like to be weak I don't like to be frail. I don't like to not be able to do everything that I want to do. I don't like hurting. I don't like being slowed down or delayed. I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And and most of us are raised with the idea that you've just got to go for it. You've got to do whatever it takes. And you can, you can, you can. And um, But sometimes... You can't. Sometimes you'll run up against something that you just can't fix it. You can't deal with it. You don't have the answer. All you can do is wait and trust in God and it seems like it's taking forever and God's not saying anything specifically to you. It's so important to understand that those are the times when God's strength is being perfected. Those are the times when He Will use you in the most powerful way, and I, I sometimes when I'm when I'm going to go teach, I think about this, and if I'm not feeling well, I'm really tired, or if I'm sick, or something like that, or just in a difficult situation, or struggling with a lot that's going on in my life, or whatever, I, I pray that God will help me to get out what I need to get out. I pray that He. He won't just have it end up being just a jumbled mess, and you know, not not because I care that much what people, you know, think about me. I care more than I should about what people think of me, but I, it just it hurts me to think of wasting people's time, and and having an opportunity to present the truth. And I just believe God's truth is so plain and simple and powerful and wonderful. I just want to put it out there as simply as I can. And if I'm not 100% on my game, I, I worry that it's not going to come across, that people are going to hear me you know, wheezing or coughing or being confused or saying, uh, too many times or whatever. And, and I just go, God, please help me to do this. And, and sometimes God will just tell me, are you coming to me in your weakness or your strength? And I go, hey, if you want me to make a fool of myself, but that causes your message to come across, okay, that's fine. I'm, I'm fine with people being amazed and going, man, I, I listened to that, and it wasn't anything profound. In fact, I knew everything he said, It wasn't that entertaining. He's usually more funny than that. It was kind of annoying, kind of his whiny in his voice, and you know he probably should have taken the night off. But God really spoke to me despite that lousy message. I will take that every time out of the gate. I'll take that every time because life and ministry aren't about our strength. It's about God's strength. And sometimes his strength is the most profound when we're weak. But this also shouldn't cause us to to feel like, oh, I need to learn enough. I need to do enough. I need to work hard so that I can represent God. Um, It's a wonderful thing to be called to something that you're not qualified for. (laughs) It's a wonderful thing to go witness to people knowing that they can easily tie you in knots if they're if they're smart. That's okay. Can they handle God? Because he says when you show up weak, he'll show up strong. Now this is not an excuse to be lazy or to deliberately dummy down what whatever it is that you know. No, I believe we should do our very best for God. We should put out our absolute best effort. But at the same time, we need to realize that. God works differently than people do. And so it might be that your infirmity or your weakness is something that will actually give God a chance to do something incredibly amazing in your life. So trust him. Paul learned that. He figured it out. And I'm sure that with Paul, a lot of times the thing that was the most impressive was how unimpressive he was. And you know, I, I think about this when I have heard over the years Billy Graham preaching. And he has that great voice. But if you if somebody else took one of Billy Graham's messages and preached it, you'd go, Huh? That's it? He didn't there was nothing really profound or powerful. But how, how do you explain all those people streaming down on the field to give their life to Jesus Christ? There's something supernatural that happened when Billy Graham got up there to preach. Now, I don't want to upset my good friend Greg Laurie, but I'll just say this. He has a power that you can't explain by technique. <laughs> but man, what a powerful ministry and how god has used him, and there are a whole lot of people who are and greg would be the first to admit this there are tons of people who are way more qualified than he is to do what he's doing who have studied more have all these degrees and can can untangle any but greg just like he always has he just gets up there and tells the gospel and people get saved and God wants to use all of us in our own way and however He wants it to happen. And it does not, not only does it not depend on our strength, our strength can absolutely get in the way of what God wants to do. And so sometimes He will allow you to wear yourself down, He'll allow you to get at the end of your rope, He will allow you to get to the point where you don't know if you can go on. And then he goes, okay, now we're talking. Now we're ready. Now I can show my strength in your life. So don't be discouraged when you feel weak. It's one of the greatest qualifications to be used by God. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul talked about God hasn't chosen many wise men or nobles. He's chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And it's just the way God chooses to do it. Now in verse 14, he says, or wait, where did I leave off? No, verse 11, I've become a fool in boasting. You've forced me to. For I ought to have been commended by you. For in nothing was I behind the most eminent apostles, though I am nothing. He said, I have foolishly had to remind you of all that I've done, and really you should have been the ones who were remembering all I've done for you. And he said, look, I'm not behind anybody else, all these eminent apostles. He said, I'm right with them, and I'm nothing. They aren't, they aren't any way ahead of me, and I'm nothing. That's a good perspective. Truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. He said, you've seen what God's done. For what is it in which You were inferior to other churches, except that I myself was not burdensome to you. Forgive me this wrong. (laughs) He says, how did you feel like you were losing out because you had me pastoring you? Other churches had guys that, were they superior to me? Well, no, really, the only thing that you guys had was that I worked for free. Paul had kind of taken jabs at them about this earlier, because they really should have been paying them. But, and some of his critics were actually criticizing him because they said, look at him, he's just a volunteer. You know, He should be getting a good salary. He should have been getting a good salary, and he did from other churches, but when it came to Corinth, he knew what they were like, he knew what was going on there, and so he refused to be compensated for what he was doing because he didn't want to let them buy him, and so he said, so how are these other guys better than me? because they get paid and I don't, because I'm working for free. That's what you're holding against me. Forgive me this wrong. I'm so sorry for working for free. It's funny the way people are sometimes. I was talking to a friend of mine today who's a pastor, and he 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 doesn't get paid anything. And he said people are constantly questioning his motives, as if if he was getting paid... Then they would understand, oh yeah, okay, you're doing it for the money. But the fact that he's not getting paid causes them to go, okay, what are you after? It's really weird that way, but it just kind of, it, it, it sometimes is that way that people question. I remember when I was young in the ministry, I was, I was working as a youth pastor full-time. I was going to school full-time. I was working in a machine shop full-time, and I didn't receive a penny for what I was doing at my church, working with the youth. And the youth group was booming. The youth group was as big as the whole church. And at one point they got bugged at me for some reason and the, the elders board called me into a midnight meeting over at somebody's house and just began to rip on me. And I go, excuse me, I'm, I'm working for free? What do you think I'm doing this for? And they said, I don't know, maybe the attention or your pride or something. I'm like, that's what sent me full-time to Calvary Chapel. (laughs) I go, that's it. This is crazy. But Paul was in that same kind of a situation where they, because they were so motivated by money, they couldn't possibly believe that he wouldn't be. And so he's just going, what do you want? You want me to be like them? Is that your problem? You don't respect me because I'm not fleecing you the way they are? And he goes on, we'll, we'll pick this up. I'll, I won't be here this next Wednesday because I'm going to uh, Ann and I are leaving tomorrow morning for Ireland to, as a late celebration for our 30th anniversary so we're going to be gone for a week but we will pick up uh, with verse 14 and, and on through the end of the book uh, two weeks from tonight, Lord willing, unless we get over there to Ireland, really like it and I just start a little church of <laughs> leprechauns over there and you guys can vote as to who's in charge Um, we're going to celebrate communion now it's something I just always love to do but it's really special when you can do it in light of a scripture whereby Paul so exemplifies the very humility that's depicted in these elements of communion let's pray Lord I thank you for this guy Paul what a guy so humble. He had so much he could have puffed himself up over, and yet, boy, he just lived his life wanting to magnify you. Even as you, Lord, yourself, as you were here, the tricks you could have done, and instead, you took that road of suffering. You, you made yourself a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Because you wanted to make it really clear that your agenda was to save, to rescue. We thank you for what you've done for us. We thank you for the love that you have for us. We thank you for the chance to celebrate the communion that we have with each other and with you because you put your body on the line and you allowed your blood to be shed as our hero, to purchase for us a fresh start, salvation. So Lord, as we take of these elements, touch us with your heart and challenge us to let this mind be in us, which is also in you, that we would follow the godly examples that we've seen in life, the godly example that Paul was, to get out of the contest to stop playing the games and to just allow you to work through us and in us and we thank you in Jesus name amen we'll invite the